and welcome to the Galaxy Moonbeam Night Sight. We are the Retro Talk Network where we talk about anything having to do with nostalgia, radio, television, movies. If you plugged it in, turned it on, listened to it, or watched it, we talk about it right here. I'm Mike. I'm Smitty. And I'm Ian. And like we say, anything that plugged in, communicated, radio, TV, phonograph, Morse code, you can find us. You've already found us because you're listening, and we're glad you are. But there's other ways to find us and other ways to tell your friends how to find us. One is through our website, Galaxy Moonbeam Night Sight. Remember, that's S-I-T-E dot com, Galaxy Moonbeam Night Sight dot com. You can send us an email or send us more than one email. Our email address is Galaxy Moonbeam Night Sight at gmail dot com, Galaxy Moonbeam Night Sight at gmail dot com. We have a Facebook page. Come on over and be our friend, please, because all I've got Smitty and Ian, <laughs> and we need more friends. Uh, friends are good. Yeah. Friends are a good thing. We've got a great show today, and we're really glad to have you back listening to us. You know, who reminds you of streetcars with strange names? Ian knows, and he's going to take a look back at this, the centennial of Tennessee Williams. Hey, Stella! Hey, Stella! Yeah. All right, that's enough. Get that fixed, will you? That's <laughs> that may be the definitive moment in a work by Tennessee Williams. Marlon Brando in character yelling out, "Yes, that's the streetcar with the odd name. A streetcar named Desire." If you ever get to New Orleans, check it out, as I intend to do if I go, too. If he were still alive, he'd be turning three digits this year. That is, it is the centennial of the birth of Tennessee Williams. He was born March 26, 1911, as Thomas Lanier Williams. Wikipedia says he received many of the top theatrical awards for his works of drama. He won the Pulitzer Prize for Drama for A Streetcar Named Desire in 1948 and for Cat on a Hot Tin Roof in 1955. In addition, The Glass Menagerie, 1944 in Chicago, 1945 in New York, and The Night of the Iguana, 1961, received the New York Drama Critics Circle Awards. His 1952 play, The Rose Tattoo, received the Tony Award for Best Play. William's stage plays translated into the big screen. We already mentioned Marlon Brando, but other stars who appeared in William's works include... Vivian Lee, Carl Malden, Elizabeth Taylor, Richard Burden, Ava Gardner, Deborah Carr. Changing direction here. His first name is unusual, but is it all that unusual? He's named after a state. So what about those who are named after states? I imagine if you're going to choose a state to be named after, it'd have to be pretty big, or at least fairly big, like Florida or Texas or California. How about the TV character Florida Evans? She was played by Esther Roll in CBS's Good Times. Right, Dynamite. It was a spinoff of Maud, which was a spinoff of All in the Family. Hey, speaking of big states, there is Texas John Slaughter, a.k.a. John Horton Slaughter, the Texas Ranger and Arizona Pioneer. There was the Texas John Slaughter TV series produced by Walt Disney for ABC. And speaking of more big states, there was California Carlson, played by Andy Clyde. He was Hopalong Cassidy's sidekick, at least he was one of them. So says the Internet Movie Database there. Also, specifically, what about this Tennessee business? I have known others with that handle. There was Ernest Jennings Ford, better known as Tennessee Ernie Ford. He was a recording artist and a TV host who enjoys success in country and Western pop and gospel musical styles. And who can forget his blockbuster mid-1950s hit, 16 Tons. He was born in Tennessee, too. How about old-time radio's Tennessee Jed from the mid-1940s. There he goes, Tennessee. Get him. 
Then there's a gunshot. Got him. Dead center. That's Tennessee Jed. Johnny Thomas and later Don McLaughlin starred as Tennessee Jed Sloan, the squirrel gunpacking marksman. And this action-packed juvenile western serial, that is. So says the old-time radio catalog, otrcat.com. Hey, how about Tennessee Tuxedo? Specifically, it's Tennessee Tuxedo and His Tales, a popular semi-educational animated cartoon TV series, originally aired on CBS from 1963 to 66. One of the lead voices was that of Don Adams of TV's Get Smart fame. And don't forget, Davy Crockett was born on a mountaintop in Tennessee. Uh, you remember that? All that. Uh, that's what Walt Disney's theme in that 1950s Davy Crockett series said. And there's, there's the state itself, 6 million people, 42,000 square miles. Hmm, that's fairly sizable, but it's not too imposing. And it's southern friendly. It seems if you're going to name yourself after a state, Tennessee is a likely choice, even if you don't come from there. However, some heavyweights have, besides Davy Crockett, Andrew Jackson and Sam Houston have also called Tennessee home. And by the way, Tennessee Williams was born in Columbus, Mississippi. Yeah, but why the name change? After moving from St. Louis to New Orleans in 1939, Thomas Lyndon Williams changed his first name to Tennessee, his father's birthplace. His work entitled Cairo, Shanghai, Bombay was first produced in 1935 by the Garden Players Community. That's a theater there in Memphis, Tennessee. This production he wrote, uh, Laughter Enchanted Me from that production. Then and there, in the theater, I found each other for better or for worse. Not only theater, but movies too, I should think. Hey, I was wondering where he was hiding out. Yeah. All right, that's enough already. Some further analysis here. Characters in his plays are often seen as representations of Williams' family members. Laura Wingfield of the Glass Menagerie was understood to be model on Sister Rose. Blanche Dubois in Streetcar Named Desire, what about her? Some biographers believe that character is based on Sister Rose, too. Amanda Wingfield in Glass Menagerie was generally seen to represent Williams' mother, Edwina. Tom Wingfield in The Glass Menagerie and Sebastian in Suddenly Last Summer are understood to represent Williams himself. Born March 26, 1911, Williams died February 25, 1983, at age 71. He discussed his homosexuality openly on TV and in print in the 1970s. He released his autobiography, Memoirs, in 1975. Wikipedia says his personal tragedies, as well as his alcoholism, contributed to his emotional problems. Williams is gone, and Marlon Brando is gone. However, take T.W.'s writing and M.B.'s acting, and you get... Hey, Stella! Hey, Stella! Even though I'm from New Jersey, right now I'm... Tennessee Ian Rose. So that's not Jerry Lewis doing that Stella thing? (laughs) I thought it was Ian doing that. (laughs) I did, too, and I thought he was saying... Fella. Fella. Oh, is that, is, that, is that what it sounded like? That's not Jerry Lewis, though. It sounded like Jerry Lewis doing his very best Stanley Kowalski, <laughs> doing his very best Streetcar Named Desire, doing his very best Tennessee Ernie, New Jersey, Tennessee Ian Rose. Ernie, Ernie, New Jersey Ford? Ian, uh, Tennessee Ian Rose. Hmm. Good stuff, Ian. I appreciate that. I miss that guy. He wrote some good stuff. Well, you can still perform it, you know. Yeah, off-Broadway. Or in our, our case, off El Cajon Boulevard. Yes, exactly. <laughs> on a Friday night where the end of civilization. Yes. Yeah. Don't, don't you love out. it when Britishers do Southerners? 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's usually yeah. good comedy. Usually I was thinking comedy. about Vivian Lee or uh, Lawrence Olivier. I think Olivier did some stage Tennessee Williams. Well, Vivian Lee did a good version of The Southern Bell. Uh, did she? And there was a movie. Gone with the wind. Yeah, I was oh, going to okay, say there was yeah. a movie that uh, that Selznick did. I can't remember the name of it right now. <laughs> yeah. It was David O. Oh, you mean the movie? David O. Yeah, yeah a movie. Yeah. Uh, the wind blew it something all about the way blowing, to Tennessee. Yeah, something about yeah. air, air air moving or whatever. <laughs> uh, the other thing I got out of that, I always pick so many things out of Ian's pieces that are real good. But Tennessee Tuxedo, I remember watching that when I was a little kid, uh, and uh, the voice of Don Adams. Yes, true. Tennessee mm-hmm. Tuxedo, Don Adams. That's right. And you're right. There was kind of an educational theme to those cartoons. You it know. did have a little, yeah, a little have, yeah. Tennessee Tuxedo and his pal Chumley. Do you remember Chumley? The walrus? Chumley, yeah. Chumley with the big the big tusk. Uh, gee, Tennessee, are you sure we should be doing this? Yeah. Uh, it reminds me of that nephew everyone has around Thanksgiving that they put over on the table by themselves. Mike, is that like one of your cousins that you would beat into submission with the Tonka trucks? That's right. <laughs> Yes. Uh, yes, uh, the, the Tonka Fire Engine, the fire truck also known as the Stitch Maker. <laughs> yeah. oh, I got a Tennessee story. Do you? Go ahead. Yeah, since we're a nostalgia show, may I share it? Absolutely, please. Do. please. Thank you. Davy Crockett was not born on a mountaintop in Tennessee. Uh-oh. As the song says, he was born on the banks of Limestone Creek near Greenville, where a replica of the Crockett Log Cabin stands today. Hmm. Do you yeah. think that was the mountaintop thing? Was that a legend thing created by Walt Disney? Is that what that was all about, do you think? Well, I thought that that was a little far-fetched. That whole song killed him a bar when he was only three. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe the bar was only three. <laughs> the bar. Maybe, maybe he was bar. in a bar at the time, and he was yeah, only three. Was. was it one of those bar bars? <laughs> Alligator walks into a bar and <laughs> kills Davy Crockett. The bartender says, what is this, a joke? <laughs> anyway, good one, Ian. Very good one, Ian. Good stuff. Good. Thank Excellent. You. Well, we're going to... Uh, Turn back to Ian here for a few minutes because Ian has news of some passings. As you are well aware, Ian always reports to us whenever notable people, celebrities, and otherwise pass away. Ian Rose is going to present his obit report. And topping the list is a 40s and 50s star who was no plain Jane. She died of a respiratory-related illness at the age of 89, February 28th. Jane Russell. A kiss on the hand may be quite continental, but diamonds are a girl's best friend. Wikipedia says she made her movie debut in The Outlaw. There were problems with censorship over the way her ample cleavage was displayed. She did not wear the specially designed underwire bra, the first of its kind that Howard Hughes created for the film. She wore her own. Bob Hope once described her as the two, the only, Jane Russell. Speaking of that man, Hope, check out Pale Face and Son of Pale Face that they both were in. A kiss on the hand may be quite continental, but diamonds are a girl's best friend. Other Jane Russell movies include Gentlemen Prefer Blondes with Marilyn Monroe. I think we're hearing her here. And this is Diamonds Are Girl's Best Friend, one of the songs from that. Jane Russell appeared on Broadway, and she pitched TV commercials. Now you want the vital stats, don't you? Here they come. 38D, 24, 36, and she stood 5'7". Other celebrity passings, Bruce Gordon, Frank Nitti on TV's Untouchables, died January 20th at near 95, and his most popular line was, You're dead. 
January 23rd, the godfather of fitness and the first fitness superhero, Jack LaLanne, passed on at 96 of respiratory failure due to pneumonia. Comedians David Fry and Charlie Callis died January 24th and 27th at ages 76 and 83, respectively. February 5th, J. Paul Getty passed on, Getty III, at age 54. February 14th, Sir George Shearing, jazz pianist, died at 91. February 16th, Len Lesser, who was in the Clint Eastwood movie Kelly's Heroes and had a recurring role as Uncle Leo in Seinfeld, died at age 88. February 27th, Dodgers star Duke Snyder died at 84. We're getting late word also that, um, you remember in October 1959, Teen Angel was released, written by Gene Denning and her husband, uh, Red Surrey, and performed by Gene's brother, Mark Denning, and Alex Murray. Now, Gene Denning died February 22nd at age 85, according to Wikipedia. Also, there's another passing I wanted to mention. February 3rd, Maria Schneider, famous for appearing with Marlon Brando in Last Tango in Paris, died of cancer at 58. Time out. Does anyone remember the follow-up spoof film to Last Tango in Paris? Anybody? Ooh. Second Cha-Cha in Kensington. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't, Ian, but I've got this feeling uh, uh, anybody, I'm going no, to. No, you're no, going to find uh, out. No, no, you no. don't remember this. No. The follow-up to Last Tango in Paris was The Last Foxtrot in Burbank. Ooh. Now, would that be beautiful downtown Burbank? Cut or pear shape, these rocks don't lose their shape. Diamonds are a girl's best friend. I'm Ian, remembering Johnny Rose. I always thought Jane Russell was a lot hotter than Marilyn Monroe. You know, you may have a good argument there. And her sprawled over there, just undulating in that big bed of straw. Probably had something to do with it. Yeah, it could could be. Was yeah. Howard Hughes romantically involved with her, Ian? Good question. And you know something? I don't have an answer for you. But he produced her in The Outlaw. Yeah. That, Outlaw was the Western that never got done. It went on. It was in it, production for years, it right? It finally got released late. I think right. it was uh, It was in the 40s. Didn't it get released around post-war time? It took several years to get it to theaters. Yeah, it was more like a Howard Hughes hobby uh, project mm-hmm. than a, he had an actual a, movie. This guy had a fetish for a certain portion of a wo- her woman's anatomy. He picked the right subject. <laughs> so, you know, she's the kind of woman you wouldn't give any rubbish to. Uh, no, yeah, yeah, you definitely wouldn't because she <laughs> would probably give it right back yeah, to you. Yeah, she'd off and clout you one. She would, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Ian, thank you very much for that. Now, we're going to be taking our pause for the retro commercial, then we're going to be back with Ian. Ian has one more notable obituary that he needs to share with you, and we, this one is very special, and we wanted to do this one by itself because it, it really is very unique yeah. and uh, kind of a turning point in history. So let's pause right now for our retro commercial, and then we'll be back with more of GalaxyMoonBeamNightSight.com right after this. Meet Mr. Clean, Dr. and Gamble's new all-purpose liquid cleaner. Mr. Clean gets rid of dirt and grime and grease in just a minute. Mr. Clean will clean your whole house and everything that's in it. Floors, doors, walls, halls, white sidewalls, tires, and old golf balls. Sinks, stoves, bathtubs, he'll do. He'll even help clean laundry, too. Mr. Clean gets rid of dirt and grime and grease in just a minute. Mr. Clean will clean your whole house and everything that's in it. Can he clean a kitchen sink? Quicker than a wink. Can he clean a window sash? Faster than a flash. Can he clean a dirty mirror? He'll make it bright and clearer. Can he clean a diamond ring? Mr. Clean cleans anything. Mr. Mr. Clean gets rid of dirt and 
Retro commercial. Mike, do you remember Mr. Clean? Yes, I do. And uh, urban myth, urban lore. Listen to that jingle. Play it back. If you're podcasting, you download it. Play it back really slow and listen to the lyrics. Right after they talk or they sing the jingle, the part about he'll clean your stalls, uh, there's something that rhymes and goes along with it, and very few people oh, know what that is. Okay. Yeah. And if you huh. can uh, accurately guess the other line to that. I, I know stalls and overalls. Uh, kind of, well, sort of. Um, I uh, like that. Yeah, overalls a, could cover up the uh, missing... Literally term, and yeah. figuratively. And what a gracious way to get out of this little uh, one-way alley that we backed ourselves uh, into. Good retro commercial exactly. And if you have the right answer, you can email your answer in, and you win absolutely nothing. nothing but uh, but you're the one who cracked the code. That's right. You cracked the code. <laughs> well, anyway, thanks, Mike. Welcome back to GalaxyMoonbeamNightSight.com. We have a very special obit. We had uh, Ian just did the the obituary segment for us, one of them. But we have another very special one here that we want to uh, share that we thought that should be by itself because it's very unique. And now, a veteran from the Great War has passed on. Ian Rose says he was the last man standing in this country. Over there, over there, send the word, send the word over there. He was Frank Woodruff Buckles, and he died of natural causes February 27th at the age of 110. Now, check out this record, if you would. He was one of the last three surviving World War I veterans in the world. He was the last living American veteran of World War I. At the time of his death, he was also the oldest verified World War I veteran in the world, and he was the second oldest military veteran in the world. During the First World War... He served in England and France, driving ambulances and motorcycles for the Army. He was not in combat then. However, he spent the majority of World War II as a prisoner of war, but he was not in a military uniform by then. The resident of West Virginia was the honorary chairman of the World War I Memorial Foundation. A ceremony was held at Liberty Memorial in Kansas City, Missouri, to honor Buckles and the, quote, passing of the generation that fought World War One, and it was held March 12th of this year. This info comes from Wikipedia. And while we're on the subject, I'd like to plug a series that I found most informative. It's called The Complete Story of World War One, nearly 11 hours long on three DVDs, narrated by Robert Ryan with mostly black and white film from back then. You get the before and after and during. You get the Allies' side, the enemy side, the weapons of war, and more. It is broken down in near half-hour segments. I believe it ran on CBS TV in the mid-1960s. Titles include They Sank the Lusitania, The Trenches, Wilson in War, Daredevils and Dogfighting, The Battle of the Argonne, and The Day the Guns Stopped Firing. Plus, there's a segment on music of that time, too. And there are extras as well. By the way, we'll be marking the centennial of the start of World War I three years from now in 2014. I'm Ian Rose. Thanks very much, Ian. That is uh, truly the passing of an era, and we're going to talk a few minutes about this. 
Interestingly enough, and coincidentally enough, Ian, you probably remember that uh, at, toward the end of last year, you and I were having a private conversation about when the last veterans of different wars had passed on. You had mentioned that you thought that there was perhaps one or two veterans of World War One left. Total veterans, I guess there's still a European veterans Yeah, we're left. down to, I guess, two, two, two to go. Yeah. yeah. But we were talking, interestingly enough, about past wars. When did the last veteran of the Revolutionary War die? When did the last veteran of the Civil War die? And whenever these things happen, for those of us that enjoy history, it is the passing of an era. It, it is a historical moment. I think the last veteran of the Civil War died in 1959. And wow. I, I don't know all the specifics, but of course, you'd have to logically say that he must have gone in as a drummer boy to have lived that long. He would have had to have, yeah. Yeah. If you do the math properly on that. Exactly, Because yeah. that was only two years away from the actual centennial. Oh, yeah. Certainly the passing of Mr. Buckles, the end of uh, of that era, World War One, is slowly becoming a, a very, very distant memory. I guess to a lot of people it is a very, very distant memory. Or for younger people, it's something, it's a part of history, like the Civil War or like events from the 1800s. Interesting how many celebrities were in it. Or heading to it. Walt Disney was among them. Really? Okay. I don't have the facts in front of me. I don't think he served in combat, and I'm not sure he got overseas. I'm not quite sure about that. He, okay. he might have. Okay. Or he might have gotten there late. But So forgive me if I've got that wrong. I'm pretty sure he was not in combat. Okay. All right. uh, I know that uh, Buster Keaton was there. Okay. He didn't get to combat either. You know how people used to say, I'm back from the front? Well, Keaton never got to the front, so he'd say, I'm back from the back. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and also, uh, Randolph Scott, the cowboy mm-hmm, actor, right. believe it or not, he was in World War One. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't know. I so, a lot of, there was a lot of uh, patriotism, as there have been for the other wars, but there was a lot of patriotism at that time for entry into World War One. And There was, uh, but there wasn't a heck of a lot of time. Remember, the, for the U.S., right. the war lasted about a year and a half. Exactly. Yeah. Well, hum- Humphrey Bogart was in World War One. Was you're, he? You're right yeah. about oh, that. Okay. Yeah, actually, right. he, he was wounded. Oh, okay. He was and, that's in what, Navy. That's, and he was wounded. I don't know if it's shrapnel or, or what happened, but that's what caused his famous lisp. Yep. That I made didn't him know famous that. on the big screen. He, I, he I was wounded or, or got some eardrum damage. I forgot, but I remember reading about Humphrey Bogart and some of the others, Randolph Scott. No, that. A lot of notables in World yeah. War II, a lot of notable World War II veterans. What, oh, sure. What I really admired and respected about um, Corporal Buckles was his determination to get into the service. At the start of World War One, as as Ian mentioned, he was underage. He was sixteen. He first tried to get into the Marines, but he was too small. Then he ran over across the recruiting building to the Navy, and they wouldn't take him because he had flat feet. So he went over to the Army, and uh, a couple of dubious recruiting officers they just weren't going for the fact that he was eighteen years old, and so they asked him to pony up his birth certificate or some kind of records, and he goes. <laughs> Uh, I was born before there were public records, and yeah. the certificate of my birth is in the family Bible uh, back in Missouri, and this was in Oklahoma, so they finally relented, <laughs> let him join up, and which is probably why he was the last living veteran, because actually he went in at 16. So he yeah. was a veteran was at the a, age of 16. Oh, sure, yeah, definitely, yeah. Mm-hmm. I was doing a little bit of research on this online also when I heard that he had passed on. He was advocating a, a national World War One memorial, right. which we do not have in this country. We do have a, a national World War Two memorial in Washington D.C. that I've been to. A very, very dramatic, very, very nice. It's an outdoor one, and I think the closest thing we have to a World War One memorial, a national one, so to speak, is the Liberty Center in Kansas City, Missouri, that you talked about, Ian. And the National World War One Museum is there. And uh, I had the pleasure of being there on a trip in the fall of 2009. And anybody that has any interest in World War I uh, history and seeing a lot of artifacts really should make the journey to Kansas City 
and see that. Interestingly enough, the World War I Museum is in the Liberty Center, as, as Ian mentioned, and that originally was a World War I memorial that was dedicated, I believe, in 1921. Yeah. But the museum is just wonderful. There is, there is so much to see there. I mean, you could spend a whole day there. Everything, all kinds of artifacts. And so anyone who's interested in that kind of a thing, really, if they can, sometime, go to, that, to the National World War I Museum in Kansas City, Missouri. Well, and the other, and the other uh, very impressive exhibit, and Corporal Buckles was actually a major part of that, uh, was in 2008, three years ago, when he was at the Pentagon, and he was there to help the Secretary of Defense, Robert Gates, and then the sec- and then Secretary of Army uh, Pete Guerin unveiled a new portrait exhibit. It was quite an ex- extensive portrait exhibit that featured nine World War One veterans. Here's the problem: by the time the powers that be got around to putting the money together for these monuments, most of the veterans were gone. Yeah. Photographer David DeJong had set out in 2006 to help America remember the Big War by documenting remaining World War I veterans. By the time he could finance the project, this was a photo exhibit, four of the veterans had died, five more died within weeks of their oh, sessions. Boy. So uh, Corporal Buckles was actually a history magnet. Imagine mm-hmm. a guy enlisted in the, in the Great War at the age of 16, went through that war as an ambulance driver, saw a lot of combat, got out of the service, came back in World War II as a private contractor and was captured yeah. by the Japanese and yeah. held, for, I believe, for three years. I think uh, quite an extensive time. And mm. it, here's a guy that he wanted to go over where the action was. In this case, of the Philippines. He had the option to go to Bolivia or Brazil or somewhere. But imagine the history that was in his head oh, all yeah. the way to the end. Mm. Wow. I understand that his daughter is going to continue the uh, the push yes. for a national World War One memorial, and we certainly wish her and everybody else who's involved in that project Well, by the centennial success. of the war, 1914, we probably have it rolling by the centennial of our involvement, which would be 2017. 2017 or We'll so, probably yeah. have something. I'm sure that we will, and it certainly would be a worthwhile thing. So we salute Mr. Buckles, and we remember him, and uh, we thank him and all the other veterans for their service. It's quite fascinating if you study... It's almost as if we were schizophrenic in those days, because remember, initially, we didn't want to go, and then we did go, and then we went to the war, we came back, and then we immediately forgot all about it during the 20s, and then when World War II came along, believe it or not, the United States had the 16th largest army in the world. So it seems like we keep going back and forth over Mm -hmm. that century about, you know, if we're going to fight, we're not going to fight, we're going to have a storm. Isn't that incredible? It's an incredible story. So, Ian, thank you for that. We're going to uh, turn it back over to you now and let you close out the show. With me? Yes, with you. Well, gosh, it's, the whole show's been mine, and I love it. I'm taking over, and all of you can, can leave. No, I'm, 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 I'm <laughs> Yeah, you see what, see what happens when you start stoking my ego? I'm uncontrollable. Uh-oh. Anyway, a couple of sites for the email, galaxymoonbeamnightside at gmail.com, and the website, galaxymoonbeamnightside.com. So we're now on Facebook, so visit the Galaxy Moonbeam Night Sight page on Facebook. Friend us if you have a Facebook fan, and join us on our page. Friend to those who have no friends, enemies to those who make us an enemy, or something like that. Is that how that works? Something along those lines. <laughs> Boston Blackie is <laughs> Exactly. Anyway, I appreciate you uh, tuning in this time. I had a lot of fun doing this show. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was great. You did some good pieces, Ian. Thank you. I appreciate yes. that. Excellent. Yeah. Anyway, join us next time, uh, right, same place, and... Uh, We'll, we'll do it again, all right? I'm Ian. I'm Mike. And I'm Smitty. And thanks for joining us.